Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, and today I've brought Jeff Barrett onto the show. I'm thrilled to have Jeff because in the middle of the pandemic, I was really struggling with how to help bring my kids up in this environment that's been so challenging. And through lots of hunting for great schools and great education options, I stumbled across the Blue Mountain Wild School which WILD stands for Wilderness Integrated Leadership Development. So Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is uh, really exciting. Today, I'm going to take a little different lens. I do want to hear about your work experience and some of your leadership experience and how it shaped the way that you're leading WILD School. But from there, I'm actually going to also pick your brain on how you're raising these kids to help understand a lens of leadership and kind of how you're bringing that into the programs that you're delivering at Wild School. So it'll be kind of two two parts that we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to start with you first. Just tell us a little bit of, yes, your background, where you've worked. I've heard you've had lots of interesting jobs and a little bit about what you experienced from leaders in leading up till today. I have had a very eclectic and storied background. I've done some Interesting things, a bear viewing lodge in the Great Bear Rainforest for the Kirisukhekes people. I've worked in Antarctica. I've worked in the Arctic. I've set up an ecotourism program in RV at Nunavut. I started a tourism program in Carcross in the Yukon for the Carcross Tagish First Nation. Worked up in Kiwani, up in the um, parks up there, designing eco lodges. I've designed eco lodges all over the world uh, in Oman, Bahamas, and Antigua. So I've, I've, I've had a long meandering career. I, looking back, it does make sense. At the time, it probably made very little sense to uh, myself and anyone watching the different directions. But I think I've been really led by just a deep love for wild spaces and wild places and the people that live in those places as well. And I, I've seen a lot of great people come out of really remote and extreme places. And really their, their teacher has been many cases have been, has been the wilderness and the, and the upbringings that they've had in those places. So a lot of that has been influential in, in what we're building here with Wild School. So tell me a little bit about when the wilderness is your teacher. You know, what does that look like? My kids are in ski racing. I came from a ski racing background. And one of the great adages of ski racing is the clock never lies. And I think the wilderness is that aspect. You can say many things, you can hide behind many excuses. But at the end of the day, when you're on a canoe trip and you're cold and you're wet and you're miserable, there's nowhere else to hide. You know, I always say there's there's two types of leaders in this world. There's the people that complain about the leaky tarp and there's the people that go out and fix the tarp. And, you know, what we're trying to do at Wild School is take those kids and show them that, you know, you got to fix the tarp. No one's going to fix it but yourself. And you can complain all you want, but at the end of the day, it's just you and the elements. That's amazing. And, you know, when I think of coaching so many leaders, that aspect of leadership gets lost. (laughs) I think lots of people will talk about bosses that they've worked for who, you know, are definitely not interested in fixing the tarp. They're hoping to complain and help somebody else fix the tarp. So 
I think that's brilliant. Tell me a little bit more about the type of leaders you've had. I know they've probably been all different types, but some of the things you learned not to do <laughs> while you were uh, being led by others. Yeah, um, I, I think I've had uh, the, the range of bosses that were either completely laissez-faire offering, just sort of essentially throwing me to the wolves, and the other one of, of micromanaging me to the point of exhaustion. I had this one boss who I was uh, working as a landscape architect, and he hired me on to uh, be a landscape architect. He was not a landscape architect, but he just he felt like he knew everything about landscape architect, and he would sit there and he would talk and talk. I go and ask him a simple question and he'd, he'd talk to me for you know an hour and a half. I'd have to work late in the night to finish the work because I had spent half the day just listening to this person talk to me about absolutely nothing. You just got to walk away. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't. That's insulting to a boss. He's like, trust me. And so I came back the next day and, and he was talking and talking and talking and I just stood up and just slowly walked out of the room <laughs> and <laughs> sat down at a desk and he followed me back to my desk and, and, I, and I just ignored him and kept working. I think he sat there for another hour just talking to me. I just completely ignored him and worked away at my computer. Wow. That goes to show you not so high on emotional intelligence. Completely unaware. I was used to people not listening to him. It was ingrained in his, in his DNA that that was behavior to just stand up and leave and walk away. But um, you got to figure out those coping mechanisms with certain people. Right. No. And I mean, that is a good example again of, you know, I, I think there's probably a lot of people listening going, oh, I've had, I've had that boss. <laughs> I, I know that one. It's completely oblivious to everything all around him. And, it, you know, that, that really became, it became quite intolerable of just that lack of awareness, you know, that lack of self-awareness, lack of awareness of everything that was around them. And, and to point of embarrassment too, of client meetings were just missing the point completely. He was a smart guy, you know, and, and, and very gifted in, in terms of attention to detail and, you know, those aspects. But from a business perspective of understanding the client, the assignment, you know, just completely lost on him. Just, yes, lost it. Interesting. Anything else from your travels? <laughs> Some of the, the characters I had, I worked in, in Antarctica on expedition ships, taking passage on, you know, to, to various excursions in Antarctica and the Arctic bosses I had along the way. And a lot of them would model themselves on famous British explorers and sort of this pop of, you know, dressing them as sir and, and all the sort of the details that went on with the day-to-day -day. and talk about attention to detail because you're dealing with, you know, in the Arctic, you're dealing with firearms, moving engines, parts. But the best one I had, I had so I had one that was just, you know, on me for every single detail, you know, made sure I was I, I, I wearing a watch. I never wore a watch before that. You know, you can't, you can't operate without a watch, you know, and looking at my uniform and dressing everything else. And then, and then that same expedition, I had another one that came up and he had zero, just let me do whatever I wanted to do. And I remember feeling just a sense of, you know, much more accountability and fear for myself from the one that gave me free reigns, that I had to make sure all the engines were happening, that I had to make sure all these pieces were working because it was on me. Whereas the other one, I was like, well, he's got this. He's worried about every, you know, he's on me on the, the type of watch I'm wearing. Obviously, he's got those other details covered. So I, I definitely did a lot better. And I realized that at an earlier age that I liked having the frame of where to go, but being able to give a longer leash, you know, that I had to make sure that that was, that I was being dressed because there was no one else to do that. And that it, it stopped with me. If those engines weren't working, then there was people stuck out in the ocean. No one was going to be looking after my shoulder except for me. And it, and it, it would come back to me 
because those people in that boat knew it was my responsibility in that. <laughs> right. So your personal accountability. Personal accountability. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, those, we talk a lot about our school's natural consequences and it's really hard for someone in kindergarten that doesn't wear their gloves or jumps in a puddle and is freezing cold to see those connections. But through repetition of those natural consequences, you quickly see, you know, if I do this, then that's going to happen and you can see it directly. And again, it goes back to that analogy of in the wilderness, there's nowhere to hide. If you forget to bring a matches on a canoe trip, you're going to be pretty cold and hungry that night. And there's no one else, you know, no one else to be responsible except for yourself. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that personal accountability though, and how you teach that, because like you said, all of a sudden you have more leash, but more personal accountability, which is counterintuitive to a lot of leaders. They almost feel like if they're not there, you know, micromanaging or coaching the task, that somehow it's going to go wrong. And I think this is amazing because it was just such a perfect example of how they actually got more value out of you by stepping away and giving you personal accountability, which was important to you. Yeah, hundred percent. And letting me fail. I mean, I think failure is something that we, you know, we talk a lot about a leadership, but we don't truly let people ultimately fail. So worried about how it looks and how it stacks up. And then unfortunately, I think we take that into our kids. We certainly do in school system and we really do it badly in our parenting right now. I have this book that I'm mulling in my head. It's called The Art of Deadbeat Dadding. Probably not a great term, but but you get the concept. I love it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like, I, you know, sometimes I'm very forgetful and mindful, and and my kids have to pick up the slack. You know, if I send them out, you know, without the right food, without the thing, and I and we see this a lot with students where a student will come like, my mom forgot to pack, my dad forgot to pack this in line. And like, Did you check your bag to see if that was back? It's not your mom's fault. You're out here without that equipment natural consequences. And it, it's a hard one at a really early age, but you keep, you keep rep- repeating those things that there is no one to account, but yourself. And that's a big thing we teach at, at, at wild is you're your own pilot. You're driving the ship. No one else is steering it. You're steering it. And that's our style. Of, that's what we teach. Leadership um, is the idea that not so much leading others yet of leading yourself. And your parents are there for your support. Your teachers are there for support. But at the end of the day, you're the person that makes these decisions and they have consequences. You have to make these decisions. And we're constantly bringing that back to their individual decisions of ruddering their own ship, making them understand that they do have consequences. And again, the wilderness is the greatest of all teachers because those consequences are so immediately shown. You don't put enough extra gear, you're cold. You don't put a rain jacket on, you're wet. You don't put the right food on, right food together, you're hungry. I mean, it's just so direct. And then we're able to tie those lessons back to them and really work on those executive functions of, well, did you prepare? Did you lay out your stuff the night before? Did you check your involved in making? Really making them understand that, yeah, while there's someone constantly falling around, helicoptering you around, at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't check those things, then you're going to suffer those consequences, not your mom or dad. I think that's incredible. You were just making me think of something too. You talked about parenting, right? And how we're solving problems. You know, we're over-parenting. <laughs> and to a degree, we're taking away what, just like you gave the example, it actually feels good to be personally accountable. Like there's something really empowering that feels good because when it comes through at the end of the day, 
you know, you can own the win. You get to own the win of that. Yeah. That's such a great point. If there's failure, but that's right. But then the winning it's, it comes back to that, to that's a really great point. It's yours to have. Right. And then the second thing that I love when I'm thinking about the wilderness as a teacher, you know, what's cool about that is it's not personal. So when you try to raise kids who have those tough love moments and understand consequences, it looks like, you know, some parents would go, Oh God, that's so cruel. You know, it's so cruel. I mean, I've done it now that I'm parenting two kids in wild school, (laughs) I've done it where I've said, you know, if you don't want to put your boots on, that's fine. Just go all of a sudden they're standing outside, you know, in their socks and they're like, wait a second, wait a second. Okay. You know, I want my boots. I want my boots. So, you know, it's, it, but, but, but it sounds so cruel, you know, as a parent to go say, sure, go to wild school with no boots on, knock yourself out, you know, <laughs> but, but the wilderness is not doing that. So because it has a bad day or because it's gray outside or because it's windy and rainy, it wasn't that because it was personally attacking you. It's just, that's the reality. That's the whole ecosystem of life right there. Right. It's like some days are gorgeous and some days are windy and cold. And, you know, I think it's that resilience and understanding that none of those things are personal. They're just things that we have to navigate. Yeah, exactly right. And and it's a little bit of that harshness, but at the end of the day, there's no choice. Like you got to keep going. Like, what are you going to do? What other choices do you have? You've got to get to the bottom of that river. You've got to get across that valley. You've got to keep going. Yeah, I get you're wet. I, I'm wet too. Get your cold, get your hungry. But what like what is the other option here? You have no choice but to keep going. And we've had a lot of those moments, you know. We don't obviously we don't try to find those moments, but those moments find you. And we've all can look back on them in life. And that linking those together and looking back on those experiences and reminding our students of those experiences creates confidence. I've done it before, I got through it. It was bad at the time, but look at me now, I'm stronger. I'm more resilient. We talk about grit, put your head down and keep going. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think those, even those smaller lessons where one person's mountain is another person's anthill, you know, it, even if it felt really insignificant to someone else, it's significant to other people. And that's, it's, that's, I think how you get confidence is you, and you bring, look at, you did, you did it before you've already come this far. You can do it again. And, and looking backwards in order to go forward is really critical in creating strong and strong leadership. So I don't know if you want to get into this, but we were talking about this earlier before about the idea of, of how do you prepare for something that you don't know what is coming? And the idea of that we don't know what we don't know, you know, there's that statistics that's thrown around 65% of jobs of the future don't exist yet. I don't know how you can predict a number that, that you don't even know, but anyway. Right. <laughs> regardless. Somebody you know, figured it out. <laughs> figured out the math on that one and uh, probably a lot smarter than I am. But we know the world changing rapidly. We don't know what the future brings. We never know what the future brings. So how do you prepare for a trip that we don't know anything about? What do you put in your bag to go out the door when you don't even know where you're going? So what we do at Wild School is we focus on this idea of these core competencies or core skills. And it's the idea that you can parachute into any situation with these core competencies and core skills and you're prepared for it. And so it's the idea of uh, it's things like resiliency, grit, perseverance, creativity, adaptability, and the ability to, you know, I just landed on Mars and my spaceship's broken and the food processor's not working. What's the solution? And so our hope is that our students will be able to sit down and say, 
okay, guys, group up. Let's go here. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here are the tools that we have. Here are the skills. Let's get to work and solve that problem. And, you know, and again, it comes back to the dart leaking. What are the, how do we solve this problem? And, you know, there's obviously this core skills, of not tying and ropes and tarps and the, the actual, the physical aspect, but it's just the ability to solve any problem and to deal with the adversity that happens and to keep pushing. I just think that is such an incredibly powerful point because I get involved in a lot of conversations with leaders who struggle to lead in ambiguous complex situations that don't have clear black and white right answers because leadership is that right it's just this i guess that's probably what i love about it is it's a mix of left brain right brain skills like it's kind of like you know you might know the path to a more profitable outcome but you also know that it's going to beat up people and you're going to lose people on the path if you go to the you know so you're trying to figure out how do i navigate these multiple layers of the problem at the same time and ambiguity is definitely where I'd say most leaders fall down. It's just like when they can't find the right or wrong. And what you're talking about is packing a bag for the unknown. (laughs) You know, it's like that. And really, I mean, I just love that. Just even that thought around how do we teach, you know, kids as they grow older to pack a bag for the unknown? Like how can they have confidence in the moment in which it is the unknown? Because that's the other thing. I see a lot of people kind of fall down when it's not, a textbook situation. And I think being confident and knowing how to roll up your sleeves and problem solve when there is no playbook. I mean, geez, COVID did that to almost every leader I coach. (laughs) It's like, here's the unknown. (laughs) You've arrived. You know, nobody knew how to navigate that. And some did really well with it and others, you know, it was a, it was a much bigger struggle. There's always going to be adversity. There's always going to be problems. And I think that the, the people that find success in those moments can have that confidence again to fall back on those core competencies. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be anything. It can be life. It can be, you know, the death of a family member, getting fired. It can be, you know, an acquisition in a company. It can be a change in leadership, but you can trust back on that aspect of, Everything's changing, always changing. Everything's always in flux. That's the, that's the story of the world. Like nothing stays the same. Nature doesn't stay the same. Nature's always changing. We need to be always changing as well to keep up for that. That's a hard thing for a lot of people. And I think as we get older, uh, adults are the worst in this, right? We build these walls. We build these, this is what I do. This is where I live. This is where I go back to at night. This is the thread counter sheet that I have. This is my morning routine. This is success and this is comfort. And I think we get older and older and older and our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and more predictable. I think some of the greatest minds of our world are able to just constantly just shred it all down. This is an Elon Musk the other day and he was talking about when he lived in a tiny house. The guy, I mean, think about like his net value per square foot of, of what he owned was out, like it was just an outrageous number. But it was such an interesting fact that he just, he just shredded everything he had because he was too complacent comfort. He needed to be uncomfortable. And in through that uncomfortableness and that like, I don't know, this is, doesn't feel right. That's where greatness comes from. Think about your kids. When, when they come back and they say, my favorite thing these days is when my kids come back and they say, I'm bored. 
Oh. Tell me, how do you deal Tom, with an I'm Tom's bored? Coming. I want to hear Something it. Creative yeah. is coming down the pipe. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you're going to come up. You know, and they roll their eyes and walk away. But we we so badly want to fix that for our kids right now. We're like, okay, well, have you? How about a device? How about this? How about that? We're trying to fix it instead of just like I got nothing. Yeah. Oh, and I can't and wait it, to see what you come creative. up with. <laughs> yeah, what is going to come up with? And I've seen some. You know, on the weekend, they invented this game where they were called Don't Step on the Poop. (laughs) They had had found this, like, these little, like, blobs, and they were putting it around the room, and then they were blindfolding each other, and they were trying to memorize a course of not stepping. I mean, it was so creative in such a small space. And I think that we were talking about earlier, but, like, how do you solve the world? We need to be able to have leaders that can create something from nothing mm, yes. the key of everything right like you know that's why i'm just i'm so blown away by back to elon musk for a second like that the ability to create something from nothing that doesn't exist you know in in terms of the way we think is how we will you know eventually evolve at a higher rate to creating new ideas of, of, for energy and travel and economies that that ideas that don't even exist yet but we need to be able to provide that space and that confidence and it's those uncertain moments boredom fear you know this isn't right i've never been in this space anymore to, to jump off that cliff the the natural world is not a comfortable place at times anyone who's slept out in the rain you know slept in a ditch slept on a beach and and, and been cold and wet and miserable knows that feeling intimately of like, you know, it's not comfortable sometimes, but if you can rip it all away, take it all away, take the houses, take the car, what are you left with? And that person is the ability to stand on the platform of your inners, your core, your confidence, your core competencies, your value set to solve any, and have that confidence. Forget about it. Those leaders are going to change the face this morning. I love it. This is just amazing to me because I'm so excited as someone who works with all of the adult leaders. I'm just so excited about the concept of bringing kids up with this at the start. Like instead of waiting, to try to teach it to somebody who, you know, has had all the great schools and has kind of had an insular life. And then they're, you know, trying to navigate corporate, like, why couldn't we start early? Right. And, and build this into the way kids are raised versus it being something that they have to learn in business school, hypothetically, which they don't, <laughs> nobody learns it in business school. You know, one other thing I want to add to this. So one thing that I've noticed First of all, I've noticed personal accountability. I have to say, as my six-year-old begged to stay up late last night to finish her homework, begged. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm torn. I'm like, you're gonna get, you're gonna be short on sleep, but you really want to finish this. She's like, Mom, I gotta finish this before bed. I'm like, All right, you know what? I'm gonna let this go. But you know, personal accountability. Like she was really feeling like, you know, she would not sleep at night if she couldn't get that done. The other thing that I've been really impressed with that I've picked up from the teachers in both of my children's classes is this concept of teaching inclusion. And I don't even know if people are really like, I'd love to hear your point of view on it because I feel like I'm not hearing a lot of anti-bullying or trying to teach kids not to do things. I'm hearing more proactive teaching about the kind of culture that is going to work for everyone and teaching kids how to be you know, inclusive. Like I'm noticing that, you know, I'm hearing, you know, we're not letting kids like sit by themselves or we're not letting kids kind of, we're just kind of teaching them to really act as a pack in a family 
you know, kind of regardless of their differences. So I'm just curious, like, was that on purpose? Is that just kind of an offset of the way that things are? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it definitely hits towards our core, some of our core values. We teach a lot about empathy and, you know, just in that is self-awareness and understanding, you know, beyond yourself, getting out of your own emotions, getting out of your own world and seeing it other lenses. And I think once you could do that, then you can see things a lot more clear. You know, the students sitting by themselves eating lunch, you're outside of yourself, you're seeing that. So it's a difficult thing to teach, especially to younger students, but we just, we do it just by repetition, just constantly flipping things around. You know, the teacher saying, you know, the student outbursts and, and not listening, flipping that around. Like, how is that what you're doing right now making me feel? And really trying to get an answer, not the like, I'm not good. You're like, no, but like, like if you were talking right now and I wasn't listening to you, how would that make you feel in that situation? And also, what about your neighbor here? That person's listening and they can't concentrate. How would that make you feel? And driving that point quite deeply in and really getting them to understand that, again, that those actions have implications, not just on yourself, but on other people, that there's there's more to their community, to their class than just their own experience of it. And that, I think, is a, is a big aha moment for us, you know, early on in, in formulating this is, you know, the beyond yourself that you're, we often kind of walk around through this tunnel lens that everything's about yourself and not about the community, the other individuals and your teacher, like how, how is, are you making your teacher feel, you know, sometimes I worry it's getting, it gets a little into like you're guilting them, but it's not, it's really just asking difficult questions. And we do a lot of that. We ask a lot of difficult questions and then push it harder, you know, press it a little bit more. What do you mean by that? What is, and not looking for that canned response of not good. What, what, what (laughs) do you mean by not good? Like, what are those emotions and trying to label emotions too? You know, that's something I think that we've come along, we've evolved as society is, you know, when I was growing up, mental health was just like an, that other thing. And it was like, yeah, there had it, you didn't, there was no degrees of mental health. Or certainly not like you work on like your physical health and, you know, emotions were pushed down, you know, I, are you hurt? Why are you crying in the ambulance? Yeah, you know, like, okay. tough enough. Yeah. <laughs> Versus like, yeah. you know, well, how do you actually feel? Like, where do you feel that? And, and the idea of trying to, you know, looking at emotions and talking about them so that they aren't becoming a, another thing that they're discussed and, and it's okay to discuss. I mean, what, listening to some of our older students, the way they talk about, you know, in situations where they're not feeling good, the way they express themselves. Sometimes I'm I'm worrying we're creating monsters of, you know, you see the interaction between our some of our grade five and six students is is quite mind blowing. But but they can they can identify exactly how they feel and how that the other people's actions are making them feel. And then in those conversations, they can actually flip it back and be like, I hear how you're feeling. And this makes me feel, you're making me feel sad right now. Yeah, well, you're, you're making <laughs> me feel sad. And I don't like how this is going. And I don't think I'm going to be the best version of myself after this encounter. You know, <laughs> I hopefully we've also given them the, you know, the, those, some of those aspects of like grit and perseverance and adaptability that, they can, you know, they can take that and figure out, you know, maybe expressing my emotions to the bully is not a good idea, but I can go and express my emotions to my friend or my parents and get it off my, off my chest out there and not 
being internalized and coming up in therapy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to your point, I mean, I think that that would build stronger teams in the future. I think, you know, having individuals who know how to communicate when something's frustrating and get it, you know, move past it and having leaders that know how to accept that, hear it, understand it and move past it, you know, like those are ironically, you know, big stumbling blocks today for a lot of people. So, you know, what you're talking about, there's some huge upside. They might sound kind of simple, but they're, they don't exist in everyday, you know, working environments. I guess that's right. And I think also is that learning that there is no one fit all leader too. And we teach leadership in these core values of, of our leader that any style of leadership could bounce off of, but that they, you, you know, you come back to again, again, listening, engaging, empathy, active listening, respect, you know, just these sort of these key core values that you could be a hegemonic leader, you could be a servant leader, you could be any type of leadership you style you want, but you need to come back to these kind of these core values. We're teaching that there's lots of different styles of leadership and that different styles of skills of, of working as a team. And they're starting to understand so well that they're quite in sync of like, this person's really good at this, but that doesn't mean that that's the only thing they can do, but we can rely on them for that one thing and that you need to understand your people really well to get the, for them to each to be the best individual that they can be. Right. So I love that. I mean, again, that theme around really self-leadership is what I'm hearing or self-led individuals that kind of understand some core leadership value. You know, again, that sets them up for anything. Like you said, if they want to be good talkers or they want to be good listeners or they want to be good followers or, you know, any version of it, we don't, we don't need to make the assumption that they're all going to stand in front of a large audience and drag them along with them. You know, it doesn't have to be that that's their future, but these are core values that work, whether they're going to go on to be artists or go on to work in the Arctic, or if they're going to go on and work in, you know, corporate environments, like those, those core values, they hold true everywhere. There is that idea that leadership is that it's, it's that word has become quite loaded. The idea of like, you're leading others and therefore you're changing others. And it's, almost like a a bit of a power over, you know, that, that hegemonic just charging out and everybody follow me and all these different styles. But I think that the idea of, you know, leadership, what we look at it is more that you be the best version of yourself, pilot of own self that you can be. And, you know, and then decide how you want that style to emerge as you grow and, and develop. But it, it's a, it's a, we're giving them a platform that they can jump off of in the, whatever they want to do. I think that that, that idea of, of that the one size fits all don't know what we don't know. We don't know what these kids are going to do. We don't know where they can go. So you, the only thing you can do is sort of providing us a, a key foundation of those, those core competencies to give them that strength and confidence to let them jump. It has been amazing talking to you today, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Christine. It was really lovely. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.